welcome back to The Dark Side. I am your host, Brianna. Dyson's here this week. Hello. And this is Dark Adaptation. Yeah, it is. Welcome to episode 12. For those of you who did not listen to episode 11, it's very important to say that Elnaz Hajtamiri is still missing. It has been 60 days, so please keep your eyes out for her, your ears open for any information about her, her abduction, everything. Last week, like I said, in episode 11, we covered this case and delivered all of the information that is currently available. And just make sure you listen to that episode so that you can familiarize yourself with her, her story, and help bring her home. Her family deserves answers. She deserves to have her story told to be brought home. It's important. So share her picture, everything. We need to bring her home. There's photos of uh, who the police are looking for, too. Get that out there. That's right. Yes. Um, It's not just about how she was abducted. Previous to her being abducted, she had been attacked viciously. Um, There's photos of the suspects. They're they're being shared. They're on our social media, um, Instagram, Twitter, Instagram, Dark Adaptation Podcast, Twitter, Dark Adapt Pod. And you got Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. Facebook is Dark Adaptation Podcast. Um, Go look for her photo. Look for those suspects keep your eyes open for them especially people in the southern ontario region really important so they can't hide yeah really important that we share her story share her picture get her home her family deserves it okay now we'll dive into episode 12 it's it's definitely a different pace from episode 11 this one is um old-timey uh, I'm fi- I'm excited. It's a bit old timey, Governor. This one is a bit old timey. All right. Um. Oh God, accents are hard. They are hard, <laughs> love. They are quite difficult to master, like myself. Um. Mm. Sure. That's an affirmative <laughs> statement. Your face. <laughs> mm. Like, were you on a press or did you have gas? <laughs> I do not concern myself with the opinions of peasants. What other people think of me is none of my business, darling. Oh, I actually like that. So. Thank you. It's from RuPaul. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, Brianna? Yeah? You better work, bitch. Tell me what's going on. Bring back my girls. Bring back my girls. Bring back my girls. Bring back my girls. <laughs> Shantae, you stay. And then this week... I'm excited to tell you a story uh, recommended by Steven of Spoils of Horror. God damn it. Love Spoils of Horror. Mm. Love you, Steven. Love you, Leo. Yep. Love all your episodes, except for one of them in particular that's coming up, and I'm not going to listen. Psych, um, I will, but... I'm, I'm going to make him loud. listen. And <laughs> for those who don't know, uh, Dyson is... Not He loves horror movies, loves supernatural, paranormal, whatever. Not a huge fan, though, of gore, blood, gruesome details, you know? I I don't need to see people 
getting their head smashed in until it looks like a crescent moon. I just don't need it. <laughs> but back to what you were saying about spoilers of horror and how there's one episode in particular you will not be listening to is mm-hmm. Terrifier. Uh, the good thing about spoils, like the cool thing about spoilers of horror is that they release um, monthly the episodes they will be covering. So you can, you have something to look forward to. Terrifier is one of my absolute favorite horror movies of all time. It's over the top. It's stupid, mm-hmm. but good and amazing and horrifying and terrifying oh and i made dyson watch it (laughs) it's so gory and he isn't used to it and he's just like woof i will not be listening to that coverage i went pale and i walked (laughs) out of the room you're like i have to go bathroom (laughs) (laughs) and from the other room you're like you okay and then you just see me in the fucking washroom, just <laughs> pale as a ghost. You were so pale, you were green. Yeah. Anyway, highly recommend 10 out of 10, watch yeah. Terrifier. I'll give it a download. I'll download it, but... It's... Okay, that's good. That's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah, you'll get the listen, guys. Okay, so this ex- exciting Ooh. case. You want me to get into it? Get into it. Get into it. Three women were staying together in the only occupied residence on Smutty Nose Island in the Isle of Shoals, 10 miles from the coast of Maine. In the winter, the population was usually six, but their husbands were stuck on the mainland that night. The three women were alone until an intruder entered the home in the middle of the night and beat Karen. When Annette and Marin heard the commotion, they went to investigate saw the beaten Karen, and dragged her into the bedroom and locked the door. They knew they didn't have long before the intruder would come for them, too. Annette escaped through the first-floor bedroom window, but the intruder was waiting for her outside and killed her with an axe. Marin tried to rouse Karen, but the killer was at the bedroom door now, trying to break it down. Marin escaped out the window, too, and fled into the freezing night in bare feet and a nightgown. She heard one final scream from Karen... And then the island went silent. Oh my god. This is the story of the Smutty Nose Island Axe Murders. question for you all right shoot if april showers bring may flowers what do may flowers bring uh pilgrims <laughs> <laughs> ready for some new england history yeah yeah i guess i am did you love it i fucking loved it so i'm sure because i could see your face you're like, Smutty Nose? What the fuck kind of name is that? Yep. <laughs> so, Smutty Nose Island is located off of the New England coast in the U- United States of America. Mm. And it's one of a small group of nine rocky islands known as the Isle of Shoals. So, there's there's this long stretch of rock to the southeast of Smutty Nose Island. 
And I guess it looks like a smudged or smutty nose. And that's where the island gets its name from. Smudge and smutty are just interchangeable these days or? Um, okay, well, well, the island has been around for a hot minute, you know. So just like going back like, up to magazines. like, okay, well, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> so if I hear smut, that's what I think. Yeah. So I'm like, whatever, smutty. I don't know if that's like soot. If you're in, in 18 fucking hundred, I don't know. It's, it's filthy. <laughs> so yeah, Smutty Nose Island gets its name because I guess it was a part of it that looks like a gross, dirty, dirty ass nose. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So Isle of Shoals is where Smutty Nose is located. There's a bunch of islands there. Um, like I said, New England history. Here we go. I fucking love history and I'm going to make all of you love it. Mm. The biggest island in the Isle of Shoals is Appledore Island. Today, it has a marine lab and research facility. Very cool. The second biggest island is called Star Island. It ha- It's the only island that has a commercial boat service from the mainland because the island is home to the Oceanic Hotel, the Unitarian Universalists Association, and the United Church of Christ. Oh, okay. Which make use of the Gosport House, and the Gosport House is this like two hundred year old chapel, and there's like several other buildings dating back to the original village of Gosport. But yeah, these weird ass churches use it. Okay. I'll let you think of that what you will. Yeah. I didn't research it too much because I did not want to go down a rabbit hole. But just to imagine that these organizations are isolated alone on an island yeah. off the coast of mainland, I'm like, okay, what's going on out there? It's a cult. Who said that? Oh, Kobe. (laughs) Kobe found his voice. His calling is to expose cults. Honestly, if Kobe started talking randomly, I wouldn't be surprised, but I would be a little terrified. I would be neither. Yeah, you'd be excited. I'm so pumped. I'd be like, oh my God, my best friend talks now. Fucking sick. (laughs) All right, Smutty Nose Island. Today, Smutty Nose isn't really populated. But there's two small historical homes on the island. And one, the main one that everyone knows, is called the Samuel Haley House. And it was once believed to be the oldest structure in Maine. Mm -hmm. I guess saying once believed means it isn't. Did I look up what is? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) So... Like I said, it's not really populated, but there is a group of volunteer individuals and families. Uh, they're actually known as the stewards of Smutty Nose Island. They go to the island, they take care of it, they upkeep those historical homes and the grounds around them, and they rotate week-long shifts on the island to do stuff like maintenance, they greet the, the visitors, tourists that come, they conduct tours. Yeah. The island is privately owned. And there's no public facilities available. The stewards also maintain a rocky walking trail that leads to this uninhabited part of the island, which today is this bird sanctuary. Of course. <laughs> what kind of birds are out there? Like, I feel like if it's out to sea, it's off the coast. It's just a bunch of fucking seagulls. It's just all seagulls? <laughs> when, this, when the um, uh, stewards of smutty nose island go they just all have mcdonald's fries i was gonna say is this where is this <laughs> just, where they all come from when you drop a fry in a parking lot they just feed them fries they're like here we know this is your fucking crack <laughs> it's my fucking crack <laughs> nothing compares to mcdonald's fries 
There's um, another cluster of islands. It's a two-island cluster known as CV Island and White Island. And they're a two-island cluster because they're actually connected by a bridge. But the bridge is only accessible if the tide is low. <laughs> Otherwise, oh my God. you can't get through that bridge. Wait, does that mean it's underwater most of the time? Uh, well, I don't know. Well, maybe not most of the time. But, but yeah, it can be. That's wild. So White Island is dominated by the Isle of Shoals Lighthouse, which is this automated lighthouse. I mean, I'm sure back in the day it wasn't, but the island is mostly this lighthouse and the Keeper's House, which are owned by the state of New Hampshire. It hosts a coastal weather station, which frequently records sustained hurricane-forced winds from nor'easters, coastal storms in the winter. Okay. I just love the word nor'easter. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, due to the exposed nature of the island, that's why they have that there, because it yep. is off the shore. They can, they have a, a better chance of like recording these weather phenomenons and whatever. Mm -hmm. The lighthouse tower was actually restored in 2005 as a result of the efforts of a group of seventh graders in New Ham in nearby Northampton, and they're known as the Lighthouse Kids. One dope fucking I name. Know. I think it's so cool. Yeah. What did they do? Do you think they just came over well, and painted it, mopped it up? I think so. Yeah. yeah. I think that power um, washed it. I hope so, because yeah. power washing is satisfying as fuck. Yeah, I just went somewhere, I transported it in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I just thought that was really cute. Yeah, that's nice. So then there's a bunch of other islands. Um, they're really small. They're privately owned, and it just pretty much for the most part houses like literally private homes. Yeah. Um, one of those small islands is called Duck Island and it was once used as a bombing range for the US Navy. Oh wow. It was sold by the Star Island Corporation to Maine Coast Heritage Trust in 2002 and was transferred to the US Fish and Wildlife Service in 2003. So now, today, it's a wildlife sanctuary that's home to a seal colony, and the island has never supported a human population. Yeah. And the weird thing is, I heard that the seal population fluctuates because occasionally one just hops onto an un unexploded ordinance. <laughs> it's very confusing statistically. You're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> never a dull moment with this kid yeah so that's just where the islands are today but they have a history going back over 400 years i guess i should say documented history going back over 400 yeah. years yeah i'd bet my bottom dollar it, it may have been there for a while <laughs> just maybe yeah so this history has been a roller coaster ride filled with prosper war murder anything you can think of these islands experienced it here's a quick rundown some of the islands were used as seasonal fishing camps by indigenous peoples until the 17th century, most likely until 1623, when British explorer Captain Christopher Levitt and his 300 fishermen came upon them and founded them because they thought, uh, you know, we can take these over. They're most likely uninhabited. They're most likely uninhabitable. So let's just claim them as ours. All right. The first town, Appledore. That was incorporated on May 22nd, 1661. The town grew and it changed names a few times, but by eight, uh, 1680, the town moved to Star Island, so the neighboring island, the next biggest one. Mm 
Again, it changed names a few times, and by 1715, it was known as Gosport. Gosport was prosperous until 1778, when most people were forced to evacuate um, to mainland in New Hampshire because of the Revolutionary War. Few people stayed on these islands, Mm -hmm. and that meant they were pretty much abandoned. Yeah. So by the 1840s, so what's that, like about 50 years later, 60, a while, half a century, let's say. Okay. Thomas Layton, his wife, their two sons, Oscar and Cedric, their daughter, Celia, and Thomas's friend, Levi Thaxter, moved to Appledore Island and opened a popular summer hotel. In its heyday, the Appledore Hotel could accommodate 500 guests and had up to 100 staff in service. Thomas Layton originally pictured the island resort as a sanatorium for, quote unquote, invalids. Due to the cool, health-giving sea air that continually flowed over the Isle of Shoals, but it remained a standard tourist-esque hotel. He never got to decide it was a sanatorium. Yeah. Uh, His daughter Celia married Levi Thaxter, and she'd actually go on to become the most popular American female poet of the 19th century. Wow. She hosted an arts community on the island, and she'd hang out with famous artists, musicians, authors, like Nathaniel Hawthorne. And today there's a garden named after her on Appledore Island. Very cool. Finally, we arrive in 1873, when the brutal murders of two women occur on the isolated island of Smiley Nose. It's still an unfortunate name. John Honvet came to America from Norway and settled in Boston. Hmm. I've been working on a Scandinavian joke. Yeah. It would be Swede if I could finish it, but right now there's just Norway. Oh my <laughs> god. Jesus Christ. I'm really proud of you for that one, actually. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. So being from a small town in Norway, he found city life in Boston too chaotic. So by 1868, he had saved up enough money and rented a two-story duplex on Smutty Nose. Uh, He actually rented this place from the Leighton family, which is Celia Thaxter's family, and they owned that big tourist hotel in the neighboring Appledore Island. Mm -hmm. After he moved to the island, John bought a schooner, which he named the Clarabella, and he became a fisherman. Okay. Oh, do you know why Norway has barcodes on their military ships? Uh, no, no, (laughs) I got nothing. (laughs) Why do they have barcodes? So they can Scandinavian. Fuck off. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I thought you were serious. I was like, wait. (laughs) Oh. Oh, no. You love it. Yeah, I just got nothing to you all of a sudden cracking all these jokes. (laughs) 
Goddamn comedian over here. It's too easy. Okay, so over the next few years, he had built up a successful troll fishing business, and he was able to pay the passage for a woman named Marin Christensen to uh, come and join him in the States. Uh, Marin was a few years older than him, so everyone is like, oh my god, she is so old, it must have been an arranged marriage. No spinsters allowed. <laughs> Oh my god. Literally there's nothing to support that. I it's forgot. just in like so many articles it's like it was probably an arranged marriage because she was older since they usually marry girls off when they're fucking 16. She happened to be older. John appears to have also paid passage for his brother Matthew who arrived to work on the Clarabella with John. Marin's sister Karen followed and I have to put this in just because woof she was just, she was described in multiple articles as a dour and homesick woman of 35. So she was a real Karen. <laughs> 35 isn't even that old. I mean maybe in 1870s. Maybe, maybe they maybe they just were just <laughs> shitting on her cuz she's just a huge pain in everyone's ass. They're like fuck's sake, Karen, it's coming. Oh god, damn it. Jesus Christ. I mean, maybe they had grounds to feel that way since she was a dour and homesick woman. I know we have no justification to say it yet, but I'm I'm still picturing Pig Woman from a few episodes back. <laughs> but her, she changed her name to Karen and went to the East Coast Isles. <laughs> okay, if you guys have not listened to our Hall Mills murder series, you have to. It's a two-parter. It is another old-timey case. It is fun as hell. Go and listen to it so you understand what the fuck we're talking about when we say the pig woman. That was so oh. fun. That was a good case. Yeah, she's my favorite character. She's great. So, poor Karen. So yeah. she, this dour and homesick woman. She she uh, got her passage paid, whatever. She came to Smutty Nose and she ended up actually finding uh, lodging and work as a maid at the Appledore Hotel. So nice. one of those neighboring islands with that big hotel run by Celia Thaxter's family. By 1872, John's business was doing really well. So he was like, I got to hire some help to just help us carry this business. Um, he ended up hiring 28-year-old Louis Wagner. He was described as a handsome and brawny, but down and out German fisherman. Also a real Heathcliff. <laughs> so he worked for their... Um, John in exchange for free room and board at their duplex on Smutty Nose. They treated him really well. They they made sure that he had good meals. They made sure that he had good clothes to wear, especially with the like ever-changing weather out there in, yeah. at, at sea, basically. Uh, he lodged at their home uh, from roughly April to November of 1872. And he occupied the left side of their duplex until Marin's brother, Ivan, and his wife, Annette, arrived. So they were still over in Norway. Mm -hmm. Probably John and Marin were saving funds to also bring them over. Mm -hmm. And they did. And they came and uh, stayed with the family. So there wasn't really any more room for Louis Wagner. Yeah. But they didn't just throw him out into the fucking snow. They were like... Okay, uh, we have more family coming. This duplex can only hold so many people. We will find you work and board. 
So they they did that. They got him another fishing job and he found cheap housing at the Johnson Building House on Water Street in the gritty south end of Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Wagner found work on a fishing boat called the Addison Gilbert, but it sank. Oh, good. <laughs> so he was out of work again. Yeah. And uh, he wasn't very good with money. No. So it left him out of work and in debt. Oh, no. So he was desperate for money. So he just started brainstorming ways to get some quick cash. Mm -hmm. He had reportedly told people, like, whether it was people he had worked with, people he roomed with, he had told them, like, I know where to get some money, but, you know, one might have to commit murder to get it. Oh, he went right to murder. Mm -hmm. And three right. different fishermen that he worked with later testified that he had said this, that he said he knew where to get money. Three different people heard him say this. He, Because he would tell anybody. Like, I fucking hate having to work so hard for money. I'm in debt. I cannot keep a job because, you know, X, Y, and Z keeps happening. I'm either told to go get work elsewhere because people are coming to the island or I'm told to go get work somewhere where the fucking ship ends up sinking. I'm sick of it. And he had told at least three different people. What? If you want to go kill someone so bad, why don't you just join the goddamn army? <laughs> no, because I don't it's not like quick. He wants quick, quick, quick. Yeah. Let me get some quick cash. Not a fan of contracts, I guess. No. So at least three different fishermen had testified to Wagner telling them, like, I know where the fuck to get some money, but damn, I have to kill for it. Mm. But Louis Wagner found what he believed to be the perfect opportunity. On the afternoon of March 5th, 1873, Wagner was on the docks in Portsmouth when John, Ivan, and Matthew arrived. They were at the docks for work, but the train carrying bait from Boston was late, so the three men were forced to wait until midnight before they were able to bait hundreds of hooks. Because John is the one that had his own fishing business. Mm -hmm. And they fucking found out that the train was going to be late. So they were literally just stuck. They're like, well, what the fuck? We're going to have to wait until whenever the fuck this train comes in. Yep. So Wagner stuck around. He kind of chatted with the men. He ended up asking John three times. Um. Oh, so are Marin and Annette alone? on the island are they alone out there on somebody knows and then knowing john was stuck working on the mainland for the night wagner decided this was the perfect chance to go and rob their home he knew john was saving up for a new boat and believed he had as much as 500 dollars hidden away at the house which is three times wagner's annual income and this mm. is 1873 $500. What do you think? God, I fucking love this. <laughs> what do you think $500 is today um, American? This is American money. Uh, I'm going to go with $15,000. Hmm. Honestly, not bad. Yeah. Um, it's, it's estimated at $11,714.50. I always tried to go really, really high over. But if you if you rounded this, it. it's 12000 So it's really not that bad of a guess. Yeah. So Wagner believed this fucking guy 
I've I've lived on that island with them. I know motherfucker is saving up money for a new boat. Mm-hmm. I believe he has up to $12,000 on that island. So with that, he slipped away from the docks and stole a fishing dory. What's a dory? A fishing dory? Yeah, what's a fishing dory? Um, Honestly, it's like any stereotypical rowboat that you can think of. So like if you picture a rowboat where it's like Buddy is in that seat and he's just using those two oars and he's going to town. Yeah. A fishing dory is essentially just an old school rowboat. Okay, gotcha. So with luck, he could rob the house while the women were sleeping and be back before anyone suspected anything. Catching the powerful Piscataqua, I am so sorry if I pronounced that wrong. Piscataqua. Okay. Piscataqua? <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Sorry. So catching uh, that powerful river tide, mm-hmm. he rode the 10 miles in the darkness to Smutty Nose Island to rob the home. So Wagner knew the island and the house well, since he had lived there for a few months. He knew that the two women, Marin Hontvent and sister-in-law Annette, would be alone. He likely didn't know that Marin's sister, Karen was sleeping in the kitchen because she rarely visited since she would typically lodge at the Appledore Hotel, which is also where she worked. Mm -hmm. So why would she be there? Yeah. It should just be the two women alone. It's the middle of the night. They should be sleeping. He should be able to get in and out. Yeah. When Wagner entered the house and Karen woke up, he was surprised. Like, the fuck is this girl doing sleeping in the kitchen? So he grabbed a chair and he struck her over the head with it so that she couldn't recognize him because he had lived there. So they all knew who the fuck he was. Mm -hmm. So hearing Karen's cries, Marin and Annette ran to her aid and they managed to drag Karen into the bedroom and lock the door behind them. Mm -hmm. But now all three women were trapped. So Marin tried to help Karen who was going in and out of consciousness but the women feared that the intruder would be back any second. Um, so Annette climbed out the window to escape. But as she left the window and tried to flee into the night, the intruder was outside. It turns out that he had gone outside to retrieve a nearby axe when he saw her making a run for it. Yeah. Marin heard Annette scream, Lewis, before he killed her using the axe oh no Marin tried again to rouse karen because that's her sister she's like yo bitch get up get up we have to go like come on yeah uh she wouldn't wake up though so as she was trying to get her like conscious let's go we gotta go the intruder started to use that axe to try and break into the bedroom door so he's smashing it down so she knew like fuck I have to leave. So she fled out the window as well, just like Annette had done. And she just ran for her life. She ran. She was barefoot. She was in the snow and she was only wearing a nightgown. And she just ran as fast as she could into the darkness. Mm -hmm. And then she heard one last scream from Karen, her sister. Uh. And then... The island went silent. Wagner had murdered 
her sister with the axe as well. Mm. It didn't stop her. She kept running. She ran and she ran and she found this small place to hide that's under a rock. And she stayed there motionless, terrified, and hid. With the snow and everything. Freezing cold. They're in the middle of the ocean. It's windy. It's March. It feels like the dead of winter. She's barefoot. She's in a nightgown. And she's hiding under this rock. And she's hiding there. She's trying to be quiet. She just wants to be safe. I mean, this fucking guy just came and murdered her own sister and her sister-in-law. What day was this? It was March 5th, 1873. Really close to where we're recording right now. Why the fuck did that always happen? <laughs> and you know what's funny is that I wrote this yep. a week before, a week before, but I I had read about Elnaz's story, so I I decided to release that one first. Yeah, she she so she hid under that rock. She stayed as silent as she could. Meanwhile, she could fucking hear Lewis Wagner walking around looking for her, but she did not move. She hid under that rock. And at dawn, when daybreak started, she crossed this, like, breakwater, which led to, uh, like, an island that's almost attached to Smutty Nose. Like, what's a, what's a breakwater? Like, um, a really shallow... Oh. It's like, it's like the lake or the ocean or whatever is coming up to the island, so there's a shore, but, but it's so shallow that you could still walk across to another okay. sort of... Yeah. What looks like an island, but I mean, it's so shallow, you just walked across it. I, I gotcha. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. She walked over to a, a adjoining island and she was rescued by a man. Um, oh, how do you say this last name? Mr. Ingebrigtsen. 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 Some other Norwegian. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he took her to Appledore Island for safety and recovery. So Thel- Celia Thaxter, beloved poet, daughter of the owner of the hotel, mm-hmm. uh, she took Marin in. She took care of her. She was terrified. She was in shock. So she just she helped her. She listened to her story. And God, I can't imagine being Marin. Yeah. Freezing cold, hiding under a rock, hiding for somebody that you know. That person lived with you for months and they were frantically pacing around this island looking for you. Yeah. And you just. <sighs> what a fucking ingrate. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah, because they, they could have just kicked his ass to the curb. Which they didn't, because from the moment they hired him, they were like, look, this guy is under our wing. He's working on our ship. We got to make sure he's clothed right. We got to make sure he eats right. But he can even live in our own fucking house. He gets the whole left side of our home. Yeah. And I mean, I if you treat someone that way, there's no way that when you find out um, the remaining members of your family want to come over to the States and you finally have enough money to bring them, there's no way that as the type of person you are who properly feeds and clothes your employee, that you just throw them to the wind. Yep. You would absolutely say, hey, thank you so much. I'm going to, which they did. I'm going to help you find more work. Mm-hmm. Um, there's tons of 
opportunities, housing, whatever, find your own housing, but here's some work. Yeah, even even in today's standard, you wouldn't get that fucking level of care. They would just okay. not they would just fire you or not renew a contract and you'd be on your own. Um later on as to talk about this, there is actually a really good point about that, how that standard of treatment is very high. Mm-hmm. Um, especially it's the 1800s. Yeah. You're an immigrant fisherman mm-hmm. and you have all these people around you treating you so well. You're an ingrate. Yeah. You're an ingrate. I'm in debt. Oh, blah, blah, blah. X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I should <laughs> rob, rob the people that took care of me and gave me a job. And kept giving me chances. And brutally murder their family. It was 6.45 p.m. on March 6th by the time the coroner's team began their journey to Smutty Nose Island. A team of at least 15 men, including doctors, reporters, law enforcement officers, and various observers boarded the USS Mayflower to make the hour-long trek to the Isle of Shoals. Which is actually really creepy because when you think of it, the Mayflower where everyone was boarded would have followed the route that the killer took. Oh my god, really? Yeah, so it was just so creepy. Cause Ew, like, I hate how everything is familiar to him. Exactly. So He is a like purest opportunist exactly so what's important to know about the islands is that at this time in the 1800s to get to each island the the only passage you could take is to one island so you'd have to go to appledore island and then from there you would disembark and take like small dories fishing boats whatever Mm -hmm. to get to each other island okay because the the main giant vessel that you're taking couldn't navigate yeah into each small island yeah so they're they're all of these people the coroner's team whatever they're on this vessel to get to appledore island Mm -hmm. which is where the main dock is so they board the uss mayflower the reporters representing various newspapers uh mostly from boston because that's the biggest city at the time. Yeah. Uh, they learned that John Honfent was the man who rented the only house occupied year round on Smutty Nose Island. And it was his wife, Marin, who had survived the attack and who had named Lewis Wagner as the killer. And it was John, his brother, Matthew, his brother-in-law, Ivan, who had discovered the bodies of the slaughtered women that same morning when they finally arrived home. Because remember, they had been stuck on the docks. Because mm-hmm. that that uh, train carrying everything they needed oh, the was bait. late. Yeah. So they found out, like, fuck, you you couldn't have come home. So they, they were left alone on, the women were left alone on that island because yep. you, you were stuck there having to work. Yep. So it was 8 p.m. when the captain of the Mayflower guided his ship into the rocky inlet below the Appledore Hotel. With the exception of the tugboat lamps and the moonlight, it was dark. No other light. So you just have your little lamps, moonlight, starlight, whatever. Mm -hmm. You're in the pitch black otherwise. 
One by one, everyone disembarked the Mayflower and they loaded into a tiny fleet of fishing boats. It's called the USS Mayflower. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's what the ship is called. Yeah. So they disembarked that. They loaded into a tiny fleet of fishing boats. It was only half a mile around the tip of Appledore Island and across a fast-flowing channel to Gosport Harbor and into Smutty Nose Cove. The men arrived, they secured the boats against the stone pier, and it was eerily silent. There was no light from any of the buildings around the cove of Smutty Nose. Mm-hmm. Using the lanterns, the coroner's team followed John toward the duplex. The snow was flattened all around the house by those who had first visited the murder scene earlier that day. They found bloody towels left at the island's well where the killer had washed up. The well is just this small, very low ring of rocks Mm -hmm. that anyone unfamiliar with the island wouldn't have seen. Especially in, like I said before, only moonlight and starlight. You wouldn't have known that that well was there. Right. But somebody had found that well Mm -hmm. and used it to clean up. So that's a very... Telling. Obvious clue. Very telling. Yep. They found an axe, which is the key piece of evidence, mm-hmm. and it was still laying in the snow by the front of the house. Its handle was broken, and the blade was covered with frozen blood and gore. Ugh. A large, flat rock not far from the corner of the house was also covered with frozen blood. A long streak of blood trailed from that rock to a door marked with a bloody handprint. John ushered the first of the observers and coroner's team through the narrow doorway of the house on the right side of the duplex, through a cramped entranceway and into the kitchen, which was lit only by lanterns. Annette's half-frozen body laid face up in the center of the kitchen near the stove her lower half was unclothed but someone had covered it with a stray garment a cloth or napkin was tied tightly around her neck and one hand was clenched the doctor and a couple others on the coroner's team placed Annette's body onto a wooden plank and lifted it onto the kitchen table for a hasty medical examination They had to clear aside the blood stained dishes where the killer had eaten a meal of tea and cake before making his escape. Are you fucking serious? It's so creepy because when I think of like killers who linger at the scene and eat, Mm -hmm. it's like I instantly think of like Richard Ramirez who had like, he would go into people's houses, murder them, Mm -hmm. and then just like chill drink their soda there was there was one case and he like drank their soda and and ate like cantaloupe or something and just all while the dead bodies of his victims just just laid there just having a great fucking time didn't give a fuck he's hungry he's got to take a little meal break piece of shit so gross Annette's face was savagely beaten beyond recognition her skull crushed by a powerful blow a member of the coroner's team later testified in court Quote, the head was, as you might say, 
all battered to pieces. Her body was covered with wounds, and in the vicinity of the right ear, two or three cuts broke through the skull so that the brain could be seen running through them. Good, that is disgusting. That's how brutal it was. Yeah. What about the handkerchief that was around her neck? It it's um just goes to show that whoever murdered these women yep. wanted to make sure they were dead. So yep. he f- strangled them. Even though he had already beaten them in the fucking head with an axe, he had to make sure they were dead. So he took anything nearby, whatever, in the vicinity, strangled them to make sure they were dead. That's so far. That's like someone who has like they they had no problem murdering at all. No problem. They had an agenda. Yeah. And it doesn't matter who stands in the way. They got to eliminate them. Yeah. And I know he he mentioned already. Um. Oh, I have no problem murdering, but like Jesus Christ, you say it, but then even like he even committing it. All of the actions above just show how brazen you are. So. Yep. It's already enough to have murdered two women with an axe mm-hmm. let alone to use nearby materials whether it is a napkin or a scarf or a cloth whatever to strangle them yep let's say he didn't even do that he didn't even use stray material to to further make sure they were dead mm-hmm. he still stuck around long enough to to eat their Fucking food eat, yeah yep cake Oh, like a celebratory, celebratory fucking food. It's so creepy. As these women were just in their own home. Like, my God. Yeah, I was going to say earlier, it went from zero to a fucking hundred oh, for these women. Oh, it sure did. They were just enjoying their life. Yep. Horrible. And then they were stuck in the room while the killer was outside. And then one, and then at one point, they're just busting down the door with an axe, which is just like nightmare fuel. Right? So, like, they, the killer already breaks in. So you think, motherfucker, this guy's in our home. Mm-hmm. So Annette trying to run out because she's like, okay, I'll, I'm gonna fucking make a break for it. I'm going, not yep. knowing that he was actually outside. Yep. And and murdered her. Yep. So then Marin is in the position of like, fuck, my sister is in here. I have to help her. I want to help her. Mm-hmm. Let's go. Wake up, bitch. Let's yeah. go. Yeah, let's get the fuck out of here. But Buddy's breaking down the door. So yep. you're like, I, I have to flee. I, I, I. Got it. Self-preservation. Let's go. Yeah. What else are you going to do? So It's scary. either both of you die or, or one of you dies. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean two, but you know what I mean. Between sisters. I yeah. get it. I get yeah. what you're saying. So as the doctors worked and the reporters scribbled in their notepads, the policemen searched the ransacked rooms by lamplight. The only unopened trunk in the house had belonged to Karen. This was the same trunk that had been in the room that Wagner lodged in when he lived with the family. So he most likely knew that I don't have to search that trunk because I lived in this house. I lived in this room. I know that there was nothing of value in that trunk. So meanwhile, he ransacked everything. But this one thing was left untouched. This guy's an idiot. (laughs) Desperate. Yeah, desperate as all hell, but also an idiot. In the other half of the duplex, the officers found Karen. Her body was partially naked and thrust under a bed. A scarf was wrapped so tightly around her neck that her tongue protruded and her eyes bulged. Ew. Her feet were straightened out, completely flat, as if she had been in great agony. Ugh. That's terrible. And also, fucking John is just leading everyone through the fucking house. 
all of this terrible detail is around him. Plus, it was um, Ivan, so the brother-in-law, mm-hmm. that was the first to enter the house. So he would have seen, um, I believe, they would have seen Anetti first. Mm-hmm. And then they go through the house and they realize it's been ransacked and then Karen is also dead. Mm-hmm. And then John, who technically is the owner of the house because they are renting it. They're renting it from uh, Thomas Layton. Yep. But it is his house. So yeah. yeah, he would have been having to lead these people through it. Jesus. And this, this it's just so chaotic because it's like this the coroner's team. You got doctors, medical examiners, the works on top of having newspaper reporters. Yeah, and you're just I forgot about that. Bringing them through your home, only lit because it's 1873. Mm-hmm. It's only lit by lanterns. Ugh. Yeah, it's, it's it's fucking so terrible. It's so yeah. eerie. This is this is fucking everyone's nightmare. It was past 2 a.m. on March 7th before the coroner's men boarded the USS Mayflower to return to Portsmouth Harbor. It was dawn before the Boston and New York reporters could telegraph the gory details to their editors. By the afternoon, readers up and down the Atlantic coast knew all about the bloody axe with the broken handle, the smashed furniture, the mangled bodies, and Marin Hontvent's miraculous escape. They were amazed by the news that a clock, apparently smashed during the island attack, had stopped precisely at 1.07 a.m., capturing the approximate time of the murders. Oh, what an eerie detail. By the next morning, the streets were thick with hundreds of shocked and angry citizens. The alleged killer had apparently been apprehended in Boston and was headed back to Portsmouth by train under police guard. Armed with bricks and snowballs, the mob gathered at the city's eastern railport depot and waited for Louis Wagner, the former employee of John Hotvent. As soon as the police arrived with him, the angry mob chanted, Lynch him! Kill him! String him up! Oh no. Repeatedly. Just like, fuck this motherfucker! Evil dies tonight! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I love that! That is them! Yeah. Evil dies tonight! Yeah, it really is. Okay. Okay. Back on Smutty Nose Island, Anetti and Karen still occupied the silent house where the coroner's team had left them. They would lie there another full day until the undertakers arrived from Portsmouth with their coffins. They were later buried side by side in South Cemetery. That's fucking sad. Rest in peace. Yeah, I, I, I know this is how it goes, but I hate the fact that like back then like murder victims were just like left in the house for like a day or so. Yeah, they were literally left on the island. Like, okay, well, yeah. we'll get to them when they get to them. Yeah, I know. It's like, well, logistics are logistics. But geez, like, that, that fucking sucks. At this time, I mean, remember, we're talking 1873. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a, it is Victorian time. So these policemen were not trained detectives. Analysis of fingerprints, blood stains, what have you. Mm-hmm. That was still in the future. Yeah. Lacking... Any eyewitness, eyewitness reports, confessions, whatever, mm-hmm. criminal cases, then 
Um, and now, honestly, were mostly solved with circumstantial evidence. Police in Boston quickly identified Louis Wagner from his description, and Portsmouth police arrived in Boston on the night of the murders with photographs of the suspect, and the search for the fugitive ensued. Hmm. So let's rewind back to the night of the murders. After searching in vain for Marin Hotvent and eating a meal of tea and cake, Wagner rode back to the mainland on the morning of March 6th, 1873. He was spotted by at least seven witnesses after stashing his stolen boat in Newcastle, New Hampshire, and walking the last few miles to the south end of Portsmouth, New Hampshire. I'm going to keep specifying New Hampshire and Maine because they, the vicinity of them is so close Yeah. that I know it sounds clunky, but I just for visualization's sake and information's sake, I don't want to confuse it. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's fair. Just bear with me. And also, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) I love context and information. It's important. I need you to, to be with me. I need you to visualize with me and you better fucking like it. Okay, motherfucker, don't complain. Wind burned, wild-eyed, cut, and seemingly distracted, Wagner spoke quickly with fellow tenants at the Johnson boarding house where he boarded. Yeah. Where he lived. Although disheveled and groggy from lack of sleep, Wagner decided to hop the morning train to Boston. Penniless the day before, he now miraculously had $16. It's, it's 1873. <laughs> Still funny to hear. How much do you think $16 was in 1873? Uh, I'm going to go with 100, uh, uh, 110 bucks. That's not even close at all. What, what try, is it? Try again. It's not. It's. Oh, I was so far off. <laughs> I wasn't even close. So what is it? It is three. Yeah, so closer to 400. Yeah. So having no money before all of this, he all of a sudden had nearly $400. $387.79. Which, this is very important, that was the exact amount that was stolen from Smutty Nose Island the night before. Yeah. Very important. Yeah. So he really does drive home. He had zero dollars to his name. Nothing. Because he was in yeah. debt. It was like yeah. negative money to his name. Yeah. Motherfucker mo- auto- all of a sudden has all this money. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. And there's this huge time frame where you're unaccounted for. Mm. 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 In Boston, he shaved, he bought new clothes and boots, and was again broke. Again. Because he's obviously dog shit with money exactly i bought new boots and i shaved which Mm -hmm. you're gonna have to do anyway it wasn't just that he like went to like these clothing stores whatever motherfucker spent all of that money and then he stopped into the browns boarding house in the city's north end uh which he had previously been to before where the landlady was like what the fuck is going on here Mm -hmm. so as he's just making his rounds through boston living his best life uh boston police quickly spotted him and they brought him into the station house. He, when he was arrested, he never asked, yo, 
why are you guys taking me into the police station? Like, what's going on here? Why are you guys apprehending me? He was just immediately like, fair enough. Yep. Fair okay. Enough. You know what? Yeah, I am bad with money, and I did steal the money I'm bad with. Yeah. Also, you know, the moitus. <laughs> <laughs> moitus. Yeah. So after, uh, you know, like, whatever the fuck comes with being incarcerated, all of the questioning, being held, whatever. So after a night in jail, the prisoner was sent back to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, under police escort, where a lynch mob was waiting for him. Oh, my God. Uh, They're a character on their own to me. Oh, yeah. In this story, like, the lynch mob is, like, an individual character. At the end of the day, they're the ones who are like, yo, this makes no fucking sense the fuck happened yep so um officers thomas and whistle and frank johnson had to protect wagner from this angry mob shitty detail because like i said before they were armed with bats snowballs they're ready to snowballs go. snowballs is very important it was mentioned with in an... every article i read they had snowballs you know there was a little bit of ice in that there was a giant chunk of ice right in the middle yep. so that when you bean him in the head it's perfect yeah so he was sent from portsmouth new hampshire uh to south berwick maine where he was actually arraigned and then from there he went to seiko maine and then traveled more to portland maine and finally to alfred maine where the trial was to take place mm-hmm. i know that sounded confusing and i think it's just a matter of Remember, we are in 1873. The only way to efficiently get from point A to B is a train. Yeah. So I think he was on a train. And God knows when they, you know, leave station and arrive. I think it was a matter of, okay, we finally left. We have to stop, though, for the night and wherever. Yeah. I think traveling was just totally different yeah like what are you gonna do a horse and buggy <laughs> which would have taken four times as long i'm sure yeah, yeah. and you still would have had to stop at all those places yep. so you finally arrived in alfred maine where the trial was to take place hundreds of curious citizens were allowed to observe him in his cell like he was a fucking zoo spectacle yeah i was not ready for you to say in his cell <laughs> yeah no he was just like she was in his fucking cell he was there to stay because he's waiting for trial and people were allowed to just come in and be like "Mm, is that Louis Wagner Mm, you did it you little bitch just tell me (laughs) (laughs) so this was in the brand new modern brick jail just a short distance from the courthouse he would eventually be tried in very modern so I well you saying that I think that's a huge part of it so People would come to view him in his cell. Mm -hmm. And I think a giant part of how interesting this was is because it's a modern day brick jailhouse. Yeah. God knows what the fuck sort of normal courthouse, jailhouse, whatever um, situation was going on. I think that it was also equally as exciting that you had this huge prolific name housed in your jail cell. Mm Mm-hmm. And it being a quote-unquote modern day. Yeah. So I think people were just pumped, like, oh, shit, is that brick? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that brick? <laughs> what is this concrete you speak Ooh, of? Oh, la, la. <laughs> 
Yeaton and Harris M. Plested created a strong case against Wagner, who was defended by former judge Rufus Tapley and by Boston attorney named Max uh, Fishucker? Fishucker? F- Fishucker? <laughs> okay, some, some guy named Max F. <laughs> yeah. Max F. We're in, we're in elementary school again. There's two Maxes. This is Max F. So, so Wagner had to be protected again from an angry lynch mob. They're back. People were just like, mm, fuck this guy. Yep. Which, like, if you're protected again, again, mm-hmm. I feel like that states that you have been, you know, like, like you were treated pretty good by law enforcement and everything. Yeah, they they kept you from from people who probably uh-huh. want to do terrible fucking things to you. Yeah. We were safe, so Wagner's trial took place in York County in the quiet rural town of Alfred, Maine in the summer of 1873. Every available room was rented to reporters, witnesses, and spectators, and others had traveled by train and trolley daily. To make sure that they were a part of this, that they got to see it. Yep. Prosecutors lined up a quote unquote hailstorm of evidence in a circumstantial case featuring over 40 witnesses. Having nothing except Wagner's alibi, his defense attorneys argued, and without success, that the Smutty Nose Island was not in the jurisdiction of York County. So they attempted to uh, move the trial. So they're, they're taking the derailment route. Yeah, and, and like just grasping at straws. Like, yo, yeah. we have fucking nothing. So let's try and, and derail this. Um, push it back by saying, what? Why are we doing this? They have no jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. It it didn't work. Yeah. And, and there was a uh, clerk of York County Court that later testified that Smutty Nose Island is in the jurisdiction of Maine. Mm-hmm. So don't even fucking try that. So they just slap that down. Yeah, they were like, nice try, but no. Yeah. <laughs> we understand you have to try this, but no. Uh, no. Immediately no. Immediately, <laughs> immediately no. I, I'm telling you, I've, I've seen what I had to see and immediately no. <laughs> so the trial lasted nine days and it was so popular that like for people in the area, like farmers, whatever, they would just drop whatever they were doing Mm-hmm. to to go to the courthouse and see this yeah they're like oh what do i want to do shovel shit off the <laughs> barn floor or do i want to go see a Free fucking murder yeah a fucking murder trial the biggest one i mean at the end of the day it was all up and down the coast people were reporting on this like they mm-hmm. were like let's fucking go yeah they're like uh, you know what i have about come i've through. got i've got about <laughs> come through <laughs> i've got about eight hours until my my train delivery of of fish bait shows up so i might as well go check this out (laughs) exactly yeah and not only that whereas where as it was so popular that like hard-working individuals were like i don't fucking care i'm dropping everything there was like a giant group like dozens of these young ladies that would you know just like pack their own lunches and go to the courthouse in order to view the allegedly 
brawny and handsome Lewis Wagner. You're fucking kidding. So that they could just okay, be right. there and be all like poised and it, it get his attention. The same way that women would do in like the 70s with like Ted Bundy and shit. Yeah, which I never understood because every time I've seen those fucking I things, I've, I've looked at him I like know. that's an objectively, at best, it's an objectively like average looking dude right and even at the end of the day if like you for some reason caught the eye of this person like what the fuck what the fuck is gonna come of that what what do you (laughs) hope comes of that (laughs) because jesus christ like you you're you're, all right you you set up a, a date on tinder and the first thing out of his mouth was i brutally murdered people and you're good with it yeah that's more or less what that boils down to you're like that's fine it's fine. Yeah. I don't care that uh, at the end of the day, the prosecution presented over 40 witnesses. I don't care about that. And at the end of the day, Lewis Wagner, the wom- the man that women are there to uh, essentially oogle. I don't care ogle. that you had uh, ogle. 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 O- ogle. <laughs> okay. Learn something new every day. I don't care that at the end of the day, I'm here to ogle you, Lewis Wagner, and how your defense team has literally zero witnesses to uh, dispute what everyone else is saying. Literally zero. I'm I'm here with my packed lunch, and uh, I'm 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 proud to uh, have your eye. Just the picture's coming to me now, and it's really (laughs) funny. (laughs) So at this part of the trial, we get into um, like key witnesses the case against him and how the prosecution's uh main objective was to say yo this fucking guy's motive was straight up that he was poor he was penniless he was behind on his rent he had no money to his name he was jealous of his former employer john Mm -hmm. he did it and there was just this plethora of evidence that showed buddy did it okay yeah you're guilty yeah are you ready to hear the incredibly long list of reasons that he did it yeah let's go so the main one the most important one is even though she did not see his face marin hodfen immediately named wagner as the killer when she was rescued by in 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 Gret- in Gabrickson, mm. that fucking guy. Yep. <laughs> and as soon as she was rescued, she said, Lewis Wagner did it, and she never changed her story. She testified that she heard her sister-in-law and Eddie scream Wag- Lewis Wagner's name as he struck her with the axe. If even one person had seen him in the 11 hours that he was missing, then it could have attributed to her story having reasonable doubt. But mm. nobody saw him. So the fact that immediately she said, no, it was Lewis Wagner. He did it. I heard my sister-in-law scream his name. Mm-hmm. It was him. He had also lived with the family for months and he intimately knew the house the family the island everything Mm -hmm. he knew exactly how to navigate it and remember when i said that he had wandered around the the island looking for marin left all of these footprints around and there was the size 11 boot prints well he had a size 11 shoe huh perfectly fits yeah and in the words of uh the defense what a weird coinkidink. Lewis knew that John, Matthew, and Ivan would have to remain in Portsmouth on the night of the murders because their train was late. 
So he knew that they would they would be on the mainland yeah. for God knows how long because yeah, they just, would have had to finish their job. Yeah, he just happened to all of a sudden appear in John's life again mm-hmm. out of nowhere right before his family is brutally murdered. Exactly. And then speaking of John, he actually testified that he told Lewis Wagner that the women were alone on the island. And mm-hmm. at some point he had told Lewis Wagner that he was saving up money to buy a new schooner. That he was saving up to $500, which is like that nearly $12,000 in today's money. That sucks, too, because, like, uh, this guy's gone through so much shit already. Like, mm-hmm. having to go tour the goddamn house with reporters and prosecution, or not prosecution, uh, police. Everyone. And and now he's also got, like, shit, I wish I didn't tell that guy that exactly that these women were but like why would you ever have thought that in the moment like it's, yeah. a, it's a guy you took care of you like i said in the beginning you made sure he was clothed properly you made sure he had good meals you let him live in your home you gave him a job and even mm-hmm. when you were like okay i'm bringing more family over so there's no room for you i will help you find a job mm-hmm. i will help you find whatever you need to be on your feet yeah that's the guy that does you wrong yeah it must be incredible. Such a traumatic. fucking stab in the back from such an absolute piece of shit. So talking about John and Matthew and Ivan, how mm-hmm. they were on the on the docks that night waiting for their uh, delivery to come. He, uh, Lewis Wagner had agreed when talking to them that he would return mm-hmm. and help them bait the trolls that would eventually arrive. But he didn't. He didn't return. And yeah. no one knew where he went. So John had actually gone and searched the docks, searched the area all around to see where the fuck he was so that he could come and help them, which he agreed he would do. Yeah. And he couldn't find him. He was Uh unaccounted for until the following morning, which plays into how I'm saying he was unaccounted for for 11 hours. You know what's absolutely frustrating about that? I bet they offered to pay him. Oh, probably. They were like, yo, just like stick with us. Help us with this job. It fucking sucks that this train is delayed. We have no choice but to be here because at the end of the day, it's my livelihood. Yep. Uh, you're here. You're chilling. You say you're going to help. Thank you. I need it. Mm-hmm. So on top of him being unaccounted for, so John is looking for him and he can't fucking find him anywhere. Mm-hmm. He was missing for those 11 hours, which is where it comes into play with what I was saying. And he was last seen in Portsmouth Bar at about 7.30 p.m. on the night of the murders. And not one witness could support his alibi or testify to his whereabouts during that 11-hour period. Yep. So the last time on record that he has seen is 7.30 p.m. Yeah. A fishing dory that Wagner had used previously was reported missing from Pickering's Wharf at 8.30 p.m. And it, you know, miraculously reappeared, abandoned a few miles away the following morning. Yeah. Which lines up with his 11 hours of being unaccounted for. Yep. The thole pins of the dory had recently been replaced, but they were now worn out as if someone had rowed heavily in the boat for last the last few hours. It's, just, it's all piling up so terribly. Like, uh, this poor defense is like, I know I have to defend this guy, but God, God fucking damn. <laughs> I know. And for um, 
I know that you had asked before, like, what is a fishing dory and how it's like a traditional rowboat. Yep. So if you yep. think of a rowboat and how if you're sitting in that boat and you're using the oars, how mm-hmm. they're usually connected to like those little bracket pieces. Yeah, like a little metal. Uh, well, I almost said ring, well, but they might not be. Well, at this point, it would have been wooden. Yeah. So like where the oars are connected to the side of the sh- of the boat. Yeah. That's the thorpins. The so those were those were worn. So they had been so worn out that whoever owned the shipping boat this uh fishing boat had replaced them mm-hmm. and now miraculously <laughs> they're completely worn out probably because someone just did a 20 mile round trip <laughs> in a stolen <laughs> boat <laughs> motherfucker i he probably thought he was so goddamn smart he like did. oh they can't figure this out because like you know <sighs> there'll be no witnesses but it's like meanwhile he's just laying there's down so many eyewitnesses <laughs> being like yo motherfuckers guilty yeah he fucking did it yep so on top of that him stealing that boat the thole pins being worn thin uh john H- hot vent the fucking guy on Smodino's Island, mm-hmm. he testified that he personally had made the trip by rowboat from Smodino's Island to the mainland mm-hmm. and that he had done it many times. And even though, depending on the weather, it, it could be difficult, uh, it's not impossible. And if the weather was really bad, sure, it could be dangerous. But on the night that this went down, the mm-hmm. murder went down, it wasn't, the weather wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. So it would have been a clear night. And it's incredibly possible for someone to have made that 20-mile round trip. Yeah. And he, Wagner, Lewis Wagner, he was in really good shape. He was consistently described as a guy, a young guy. He's only 28. He's in amazing shape. He's powerfully built. He's completely capable of making that. Yeah, it's, it's really not that. Like, if it's 20 miles round, mm-hmm. it's 10 on its way. In the middle uh, of the night, it's a calm sea. He's he's getting on that river. It's a perfect. Yeah, flow. it's not even a time issue either. Mm-hmm. Like you're you're getting there and back before it's fucking daylight. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to, if if things go your way, which they which, did, it was a perfect well, they, night for it. They did and they didn't. I mean, they <laughs> didn't expect that one person to be there as soon as he came in. But you know, we'll take away eyewitness accounts and whatever. Mm-hmm. Let's say he didn't have that. It was an absolutely perfect circumstance. Yeah, he was, he yeah, like I said, he he was the, he was waiting for the ideal opportunity. He took it right away. So whoever had taken this little fishing dory to Smutty Nose Island, they would have had to know that you leave your boat in the cove where it could not be seen. Because how I was saying before, how all of the islands are very close. Mm -hmm. And at this time period, he would have had to take a main boat only to Appledore Mm -hmm. to take an individual fishing vessel, fishing dory, whatever. You would have to know exactly where to... uh, Bring it ashore. To dock that boat. Exactly. And and whoever arrived at Smutty Nose Island knew the precise location to dock their boat yeah probably somebody who was familiar with the island who was familiar to getting to the residence yeah this island with a population of six six (laughs) six and even then yeah probably the majority of the time four or five but yeah god exactly this tiny populated island yeah yeah 
not only would they have had to be familiar with the island and the cove and all of that, the killer had to be familiar enough with the house. They had to be familiar with the house to walk through it, to know exactly what lights to, what lanterns to light, the oil lamps to light, to pull down the shades, to make tea, to eat their cake, and then return to the mainland. They would have had to have been familiar with this household. Yeah. And and did he bring that axe along or did he find it? He miraculously found it. Oh, what a, what a weird so, blanketing again. That's a very good point. So yeah. he, you know, was Lewis Wagner. Mm-hmm. Finally arrives on the island. He knows, okay, the Hunfent house, I'm going to break into it. I know there's $500 at least. And at, at, in his mind, okay, Merid and Annette are inside of this house, but they should be sleeping because mm-hmm. it's the middle of the night. Yep. Karen, he didn't know Karen would be in the house because she typically lodged and worked at the Appledore Hotel. So she should have been on another island. Mm-hmm. But on this night, she happened to be there. So he broke into the house. Fuck. Karen is literally sleeping in the kitchen. Yep. And it disrupted all of his plans. Yeah. Can't go room to room when someone's sleeping in the fucking kitchen. Mm-hmm. Yep. But his plan was, I'll, I'll get into this fucking house and I'll be able to sneak through each room because I know this house. I know the room I used to sleep in and I know all of the secret places. Mm-hmm. But it was immediately thrown off. Yep. And he immediately went to murder. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Right away. He's like, oh, shit. I'll be right back. I'm going to get an axe. Which, if we think about the people that testified against him, it was never above him. He was always like, if I have to, I don't care. Yeah, he, he re- really relished in the idea that he he could just simply murder someone and, and solve all his debt issues. And thinking about how when the coroner's team finally got there and John was leading them through the house. Mm-hmm. How there was that one trunk that was not opened. Yeah. And it was the one trunk that happened to be in their room that he boarded in. Mm-hmm. God knows how many times he opened that. He would know like, oh, fuck, there's nothing in here. Like, why bother? Yeah. The rest of the house is ransacked. Meanwhile, the one trunk you were completely familiar with isn't even touched. Yep. Everything's all folded nicely in there. Yeah. Lids closed. Pretty suspicious. Yeah. And then thinking about how whoever came to the island, there was the bloody towels that were left around the um, well. Mm-hmm. And the well was like a pretty low uh, ring of just stones. Yeah. Where it's the 1800s. There's no light. The only light that you would have had is by lantern or the fucking moon and stars. And yeah. in this case, it's just him on the island. Yeah, he just wandered outside and went right to the well. And he happened to just go there and like clean himself up. Like it's yeah. a pretty telling detail that whoever is on the island knows exactly where that well is. Yeah. Um, a figure dressed like Wagner was seen at Little Harbor in Newcastle by a series of witnesses around six forty-five the following morning. He was 
uh, reportedly disheveled and his pants were wet and they were covered in ice. He seemed to be getting his bearings as he made his way onto the mainland. And then he began walking toward Portsmouth. And one witness that saw him, like, coming to, like, coming aboard the mainland and heading towards Portsmouth, Mm -hmm. one witness was actually like, oh, fuck, I know exactly who that is. Like, he he knew him by name. He knew that that was Luce Wagner. He's seen him a million times. He fucking knew. Never, never good when you just committed a murder. You get into a public setting and everyone's immediately thinking, what fucking happened to this guy? I know him. I've seen him <laughs> a million times. Oh, my God, Lewis, what happened? Yeah, isn't that odd? I'm immediately looking for answers as to why he looks like this. Exactly. <laughs> um, And on top of that, so he's he's been spotted. People fucking know him by name. He's trying to conspicuously inconspicuously make his way through town Mm -hmm. and um he comes upon this what's described as a washed out bridge so he doesn't want to have to stand there and wait for the ferry to come so that he can get to you know point a to b so he decides shit i'm just gonna try my best and and cross this i'll just i'll just uh it's easy I'll just get across it. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. No. Can't just get across it. So he's like, oh shit. Um, I see you two. I see you two. There's two guys. Mm-hmm. He's like, I have this like random piece of wood. Um, if I just like kind of lay on it, can you help me like get across this washed out area? And they do. They help him get across it. Yeah. But of course they remember. Yeah. They helped a guy. <laughs> Get across this bridge on a fucking piece of wood. Yep. And they later testified in court like, oh, the the exact guy that you're describing, uh, we did come across him in the early morning Mm -hmm. and we helped him because why not? Yeah. We didn't know he committed murder. We just thought he was fucking weird and we remembered him vividly. Well, it doesn't help him. It helps everyone (coughs) else in saying, oh, buddy, we can place you. Mm-hmm. Because we have these two people who are like, yeah, it was weird, but we helped him because why not? Yeah. Um, and so he does that, gets across, and he's like, okay, well, where else, where else am I supposed to go? I guess uh, to where I'm boarding. So uh, Ann Johnson, which is his landlady at the mm-hmm. boarding house that he's staying at, he she was like, yeah, you know... Um, he did uncharacteristically uh, not spend the night. So uncharacteristically, every single night, he's fucking here. Except for that one he's night, he's here. He's here in his in his bed, which it's in a room that he shares with multiple roommates. Oh my god! And later on, each of those roommates were like, "No, nah, he wasn't fucking there." So she's like, "Yeah, um, he uncharacteristic." Later on, she's like, yeah, Wagner uncharacteristically did not spend the night in his room on the night that those murders happened. And uh, she's she's up. She's up at the ass crack of dawn because she's mm-hmm. a good landlady. Mm-hmm. And she realizes, oh, shit, what's that over there? Oh, oh, that's Wagner. That's Louis Wagner. He's approaching the boarding house at 7 a.m approaching yep. like he was not here mm-hmm. 
And so she's she testified that uh, when he did finally show up, he was agitated. He was windburned. His clothes were wet. They were covered in ice. They were spotted with blood. And his hands Christ. were like badly scratched and blistered. Yeah. I sorry, it was it was the wandering up covered in blood part that just makes me go like, are you even trying at this point? It, it honestly gets so much worse. So, like I said, he shared a room with other people who had said like, no, he like wasn't here, mm-hmm. which they did later testify to, saying like, no, like. We do share a room with him, but he did not spend the night in this room with us. And he <laughs> he said, oh, are my are my roommates telling you that I wasn't in the room with them? Oh, it's so funny. It's so funny. So um, I wasn't in the room with my roommates like I am every other night because I actually got really drunk and uh I just slept on the sofa in the main room. So, yeah, I, I I just like I got back from partying and I was just like, yeah, I can't go up to my room. So I'm just going to sleep on the sofa of the of the boarding house. Oh, OK. And then let me guess. People didn't find him sleeping on the sofa in the boarding house. Exactly. <laughs> the landlady, Mrs. Johnson, and her daughter, Mary, were like, oh, funny thing about that. We're very strict with um, our roommates here. The door was locked, so he couldn't just waltz in whenever the fuck he wanted. Oh, on top of that, even if for some reason he miraculously made his way inside, mm-hmm. Joe Blow was sleeping on that sofa all night. He couldn't have. There's only one sofa down there, and we know exactly who was sleeping on that sofa all yep. night, and it was not Someone Lewis Wagner. Someone else was already sleeping on so the fucking sofa. So have fun with that theory. We yep. know your fucking ass was not on that sofa because we know exactly whose ass was. Mm-hmm. What an idiot. It's just like bro the 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 idea that someone else might have been sleeping on the sofa didn't cross his mind when he made that official fucking statement want to hear what's more oh yeah please so when they said that like bro we fucking know who was sleeping on that sofa and it wasn't you he said um no it was it was but um i actually had like been out at the bar so i was sick so I had gotten up to go outside and puke and uh, get some fresh air. And mm-hmm. that's why I wasn't on the sofa. Whenever whenever you happened to have come down and seen that it wasn't me, it, it was just a coincidence because I was. I was. Yeah. But I had, I, yeah. had, I had gone outside to get sick or get fresh air. Yeah. I and mean, that's, that's why you didn't see me, but a, I was. That's what homies are for, you know? Like you, you're sick on the couch <laughs> and you're going to puke and you, you ask your homie, you know? Yeah. Hey, you want to lay down here while keep it warm for me while I go hurl outside, and then when I come back, immediately swap again. Exactly. And also, you have to disappear. You can't be around here for anyone for you to see you. So then, <laughs> exactly. So then they came back and said, "Oh, that's funny. So you can say that Joe Blow was on the sofa, but you happened to have gone outside or whatever for fresh air." Um, no. Standard protocol says we lock those doors. 
so that nobody can come in or out because there is a curfew. You want to stay in this fucking boarding house? You follow the rules. So that door was locked. Yeah. And you did not come and go as you pleased. Yep. So that's <laughs> fucking out the window. I love it. <laughs> so. Uh, I'm just imagining they fucking took this poor bastard who was just chose the night to sleep on that couch and then he's like what do you mean i have to go into court next week That's i have the thing, to testify though, that, that i slept fine. on the couch he's fine he's like yeah motherfucker i did get wild with it and i did sleep on the sofa yeah but lewis wagner had nothing to do with this place sure he technically did rent a room there and sure for the most part he was there mm -hmm. but for this night mm -mm. He wasn't. Nope. So Mary Johnson, the daughter, she testified that around 7.30 a.m. she saw Lewis Wagner walking outside and he was carrying this bundle under his arm mm -hmm. and he had been coming from his room and he was going toward the privy in the backyard. It's a privy. A privy is um, essentially just an outhouse. Oh. So the bundle he was carrying um, ended up being his shirt that was bloodstained. Oh, my God. So he was going out to the outhouse yep. in, the, in the yard, and he was carrying a bundle under his arm, which ended up being his bloodstained shirt. Yep. And uh, it was torn. His shirt was torn. Mm -hmm. It was bloody. And it was recovered from oh, the... No. It's called the vault of the privy which what's an outhouse yeah this is like the septic tank it's so just it's a just... fucking hole in yep. the ground yeah so the investigators had to go in there they recovered the shirt from the goddamn hole in the ground mm -hmm. and it was covered in blood <laughs> and it was identified as his shirt and uh mary johnson and ann johnson so the uh landlady and her daughter yeah. had identified the shirt as uh, as belonging to Lewis Wagner and not only belonging to him it was a shirt that they knew they knew offhand it was a shirt that they regularly mended that they regularly laundered they knew that shirt mm -hmm. it was his Lewis Wagner spent roughly $16 on his train ticket and the clothing that he had obtained when he had gotten to boston so he that amount of money the 16 dollars, is reportedly the exact amount that was stolen from smutty nose inadvertently he made these very strong statements against himself because when he got to boston he was talking to uh people he knew and also people that would talk so he was uh talking to his former boston landlady he was talking to a boston shopkeeper a former sex worker all of these people that could e easily testify to his the, the timeline mm -hmm. of when he was in boston so the former landlady whose name is mrs brown she testified that wagner had very strange behavior uh, he was he was very inconsistent in his stories. He was obviously telling a lot of lies as to when he had actually arrived to Boston. Mm -hmm. 
on top of that, he had gone and he had shaved his beard. He had bought all of these new clothes and boots. And he was just discarding his old clothes like willy-nilly. And it was very obvious to Mr. Todman, who was the Boston shopkeeper, that he he was being suspicious. Yeah. It was very obvious. And at, at the trial, he did testify that Wagner's behavior, his odd comments, and, you know, uncharacteristic uh, purchases were very much um, out of character. Yeah, really suspicious. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Very suspicious. And then there was when he was uh, in Boston. Mm-hmm came upon uh, Emma Miller. Emma Miller is a sex worker. And she was like, oh, shit. Yeah, Louis Wagner, he uh, he was talking to me, and he was giving me a lot of wild details. And a lot of these wild details had to do with uh, very strange, uh, what seems like confessional statements as to... Um, him killing maybe one or two people, you know, just casually. Oh yeah, just you bring that up, you maybe know. Maybe one or two people just trying um, to make friends. No matter what, it seemed weird, and uh, I'd like to testify to it. Yeah. On top of that, him being uh, on the lamb, essentially, there was a bartender who was like, "Oh shit, yeah, that fucking guy. <laughs> he came in." He came into my bar and he had a couple of drinks. He was he was pretty cool. Uh, a little weird, a little open, but uh, yeah, he was there. And then when the uh, Boston police had finally arrested him, mm-hmm. when they arrested him, he had no uh, questions, actions, anything towards mm-hmm. his arrest. Towards his capture. He was not questioning why he was being arrested. And when he was searched, the police found a white button, which reportedly matched perfectly to a button that one of the murder victims had in their purse. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, places him at the scene. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much the nail in the coffin right there. And then on top of that, when he was asked, like, yo, where were you on the day of this murder? I mean, we already have uh, quite a few very strong. Uh, I was at my girlfriend's place. She's at another school. You wouldn't know her. <laughs> <laughs> well, essentially, they were asking him that. And, uh, you know, he did not uh, have a good answer. He was he would give vague ones like, oh, um, yeah, at that time I was. uh I was downtown, and uh, I don't know. I don't know where I was though, but I was there. And they'd be like, "Okay, who are you with?" And he'd be like, "Oh, um, I was with somebody um that I was supposed to be working with, and they had come to the dock, and we were supposed to like be baiting trolls and everything uh, with them." But oh shit, the fishing boat they were with, yeah. Um, I don't know their names. And then the detectives would be like, okay, do you at least know the name of the boat? What do you think? No. No, I no. don't know. Oh, I don't know the name of the boat. Um, There was a captain, though. There was a captain of that boat. Sick. What was the name of the captain? Yeah. Oh, uh, captain? 
captain of the boat. Yeah, I don't know the captain of the boat, but he did pay me in cash. The captain did pay me in cash, though. Like, I know that. But um, who the captain was? No. No, I don't know that. Oh, okay. Um, well, where were you? You don't know the name of the captain? That's okay. What port were you on? Where were you? We can maybe track that down. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know the name of the port I was at. Uh, it was a good captain, but the you port just... I was at? I, I, uh, I don't think I can tell you that. He just fucking lies and then has no way of, like, immediately is just called on it. Honestly, yeah. and, when, and when the cop said that, listen, I've asked you a million questions. Yeah. Who the fuck and where the fuck? Louis Wagner just went, oh, oh, God, I was so sick. I was so sick. And I don't know. I don't know anything. I was sick. Stop asking me. <laughs> I don't know. I was sick. This poor guy. And they were just like, oh, Sounds super sick. Lord, I don't fucking believe this. <laughs> but that's Made what he job stuck easier. to. <laughs> that's what he stuck to. I'm sick and I don't know. Airtight. On top of that. On top of him being, oh my God, so sick. I don't remember. I'm sorry. At no time did Lewis Wagner ever show any like true emotion. Any real emotion that had to do with anything outside of himself. He had never expressed anything toward the two women that were fucking brutally murdered. Mm -hmm. He never showed anything toward them. Never showed any sort of compassion for the families of the victims. Nothing. Which was honestly extra like hurtful to those involved because the whole time he was saying, you know, do you know how much that family did for me? They were mm -hmm. my best friends. They did everything for me. I could never have hurt them. So the surviving victims were like, well, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. Everyone around us is saying that you're the main suspects. Yep. Meanwhile, you're out here saying, I could never. I could never. Yeah. It was a very hard time for everyone. June 1873, the jury of 12 white men from rural Maine took less than an hour to render a guilty verdict, which meant the death sentence. The same night he was found guilty, he actually ended up escaping from his jail cell in Alfred, Maine with two accomplices. Wagner was able to pick the high... <laughs> quote unquote high security lock yeah <laughs> not so much and uh it was with a uh, wooden toothbrush and the three convicts climbed onto the roof and then lured themselves onto the empty warden's quarters down the stairs and out the back door oh my god so that's how they were that's how they managed to escape and they were just <laughs> wandering the countryside for like three days <laughs> before they were captured again mm -hmm. and uh lewis wagner was transferred to the state prison in thomaston maine to await his execution now what is cool about that is that thomaston is infamous 
for its early cruel conditions and treatment of prisoners. Thomaston had originally housed its prisoners in deep holes and forced them to work hard labor in a rock quarry. Yeah. By the time Wagner was sent there in 1873, Thomaston was more of like a, a modern facility where prisoners worked in a variety of different occupations. So mm-hmm. anything from like shoemaking to uh, making carriages. Oh, wow. But uh, before then, Thomaston was a very harsh place to be. And it was actually an inspiration for Stephen King's Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen King writing about Maine. R- who well, would have guessed? <laughs> who would have guessed? I don't want to talk about that. It literally leaves me so butthurt. <laughs> oh, about when you tried to guess the 50 states and you got 49? But for some reason, I couldn't get Maine. Yeah. Why? Yeah. It hurts so much. It hurts my soul. Yeah. So he uh, he had actually uh, been researching or known about this place and was like, damn, that's good inspiration. Yeah. I mean, that's some pretty good source material. That's really interesting. Even for those who have, maybe they, for those who did not read the book, mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter because for those who watched The Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. That's a good ass movie. That is a good ass movie. Oh, and it's well, there's like like anything. Like if you read a book and you later watch the movie, like it's totally normal for you to be like, oh, you know, this, that, and the other thing was left out. Mm-hmm. Shawshank Redemption, the movie, mm. so good. Yeah. After being captured, brought back to prison, and condemned to hang. Lewis Wagner frequently accused Marin Hauntvent, the surviving victim, of being the killer. She was, after all, the only other surviving person on the island. So he used that to his advantage, saying, it wasn't me. I mean, oh my God, look over here. It was totally her. She was the only other person that survived, so it must have been her. (laughs) This guy's not the brightest. And on, t- on top of that, yeah, he also blamed John, so her what her husband, saying, uh, "Yeah, he was totally into it. He was part of the murder plot. Like, duh. Um, I bet that that uh, John's plan was to kill any woman on the island because it's so hard to make a good living that uh, I, I we've got to kill them." We've got to kill him because the cost of living, the cost of everything is so high. Yeah, uh, even though he's doing just fine. It's ridiculous. Even though he's doing just fine and he's housing other people. Which and is, Lewis which... at one point. Lewis Wagner at one point is someone he was housing. Yeah. So it is absolutely ridiculous. So if, uh, let's say he, Lewis Wagner was out there telling people this story, like, mm-hmm. oh my God, I... I bet it was him because, like, it's so hard to house people there. Mm-hmm. You know, like, reason X, Y, and Z. If people were like, uh, yeah, no, mm-hmm. no, I don't, I don't buy your story for one second. He would be like, oh, um, oh, yeah, well, you know, it, it, it wasn't John and Marin. It was actually these other people. It was these other people. Yeah. And, uh, and that's why. That's why it happened because it it wasn't 
John and Marin. That's silly. It was it these was, other people. It was the ex-judge. Yeah. Just so trust me, bro. It didn't matter who it was. If people started to question him, like, bro, that doesn't make sense. He'd be like, oh, it doesn't make sense. Okay, well, then it was these people instead. Yeah, of course. So uh, during this whole time where he had gone through his hearing and was found guilty and was, you know, giving people X, Y, and Z up Mm -hmm. for the uh, actual uh, murder murderer during the whole time that uh, he was sort of fighting for himself as not a guilty party in the murder, Maine was actually on the verge of abolishing capital punishment. So his attorney was working tirelessly to prevent his execution. He, Wagner, Louis Wagner, had actually ended up befriending another 28-year-old murderer Okay. So essentially like him 2.0. Yeah. He befriended him and uh, they were both on death row. And his name was John True Gordon. And the two men were described as model prisoners. Wagner carried his Bible around with him everywhere he went. He professed to be reborn. classic old faithful right there he had his bible he was like oh i'm reborn i have found god's way i think that's like that's so funny because it it just sounds like his way of uh, obviously like this could completely just be him trying to make people try and believe his story even more but at the same time it's it could also be him internally coming to the terms with being an absolute piece of shit and just capitalizing on this like loophole to get into heaven. Right. And either way, yep. it sort of fits with him being like, God won't kill an innocent man. I'm here. I'm innocent. Yeah. He would not kill an innocent man. And then hoping for a reprieve from his crimes, he met with uh, the governor at the time, whose name was Nelson Dingley. And uh, he had asked him, you know, do do I look like a man who would commit such a crime? (laughs) uh, The governor at the time, Nelson Dingley, said, uh, uh, you know, you look to me like a man that got himself into a corner and he murdered his way out of it. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Christ, he threw it right back in his face. Straight up. But to Lewis Wagner, who's completely delusional, he yeah. was like, mm, that didn't go the way that I wanted, so I will just keep protesting. I, I will protest. No, I'm innocent. I'm innocent. Yeah. I don't care what anybody says. I did not do this. June 25th, 1875 arrived. The day of Lewis Wagner and his BFF John True Gordon's execution. John True Gordon had attempted suicide minutes before his execution in the prison yard, but it failed. And he was sent he was sent to be hanged anyway. Mm-hmm. Some people attribute Wagner as the last man to be hanged in Maine, but he wasn't. Some people even add to the 
sort of conspiracy theory that Maine abolished its death penalty because of Wagner's innocence. Right. Which is also false. Okay. Uh, he was actually one of the last men executed before capital punishment was abolished in Maine, and the state was already on the verge of abolishment. Mm-hmm. So there was four other people executed after him. It, yeah. The abolishment of the death penalty had nothing to do with him, but people sort of take that as like, oh my God, he was an innocent man, and they abolished the death penalty because of it, yeah. which, which wasn't the case. They had already been working on it. And he was sentenced to death because he was fucking guilty. And how fucking gross that all these people were like, oh, he was innocent to like feed their own theory, which is completely baseless. Which actually leads into this part of like how the proclamations he made about being innocent and and having nothing to do with it, they right up until the end of it, at the end of his life where he was hung and and until that moment he said oh i didn't have anything to do with it mm-hmm. they they helped sort of lead to rumors and help create these theories that uh he was innocent <laughs> and and to this day they allow for these rumors and these theories that someone else had actually murdered the women and it wasn't him and and oh to this God. day, people still believe it. That's ridiculous. The main theory that people abide by is the fact that he was convicted on uh, circumstantial evidence. Really? Which, to me, is just like a major eye roll because circumstantial evidence... It's just evidence that is essentially inferred right so you didn't directly see it yeah circumstantial evidence still includes um someone yelling his name Mm -hmm. right before being murdered docking at the only place that people who would be familiar with the island would dock Mm -hmm. um talking to john in advance Telling multiple people how easy murder would be to get rich again uh, or get out of debt. Um, like, right. Like all the things you listed just just before. Yes. Yeah. The opposite to circumstantial evidence is direct evidence, which means uh, whoever's involved directly with their own eyes and is capable of testifying can say, yo, I saw this person pull the trigger or I saw this or that or the other thing. Yeah. So for the most part, Crimes are convicted. Uh, imagine, imagine hearing that he wandered to his boarding room with blood on his clothes, no alibi for the la- for the entire night, and going, "No, that's circumstantial. I, I don't want to hear about it." <laughs> Another theory is that, uh, well, maybe it was someone else on the island. So someone else could have made their way to the island that night, but nobody reported seeing anything no sort of like mysterious bow or mysterious people mm-hmm. whatever and the only other people nearby was a group of carpenters on star island so the next biggest island and they were busy building the oceanic hotel mm-hmm. um when 
Marin had finally ran from her hiding place under that rock. She had actually heard them on Star Island, like, hammering away, building the hotel. And she had waved at them, Mm -hmm. being like, yo, hi, here I am. And they just kind of, like, waved back. Mm -hmm. Because they had no fucking idea what was going on over there. They didn't know that she was had literally been hiding all night for her life. Yep. And on top of that, afterward, the police were obviously like, um, so you guys were on Star Island that night, right? Mm-hmm. Um, your whole crew here, well, anything off? Yeah. You notice anything weird? And they were all like, nope. We were all here. We were all working. No one disappeared. No one was gone. Mm-hmm. It was just us. We were just working hard doing our fucking job. Yep. So it wasn't anybody else. No. The uh, last theory that was presented was the Marin deathbed confession. So at some point, there was this printed article in 1876 that uh, reported that a woman who was formerly on Smutty Nose Island, they confessed on their deathbed to having killed their own sister and their own sister-in-law with an axe okay but the story was false it was quickly proved to be false and it was believed to be a hoax perpetrated by an opponent of the death penalty in maine and like i had mentioned before they were already working on abolishing the death penalty Mm -hmm. so it's believed that potentially this article that was leaked yeah um was by someone who was trying to hammer home the fact that abolishing the death penalty is needed right in the grossest way possible and um when you think about it how this article says oh you know like i did kill my own sister and my own sister-in-law mm-hmm. that only leaves one person which is Marin. yep and the deathbed confession holds zero water because she was still alive yeah. when this published. Because it was 1876, <laughs> which was only one year after Lewis would have been sentenced to death. Oh, my so God. So it was one year after. And meanwhile, the bitch was like, oh, my God. Hi. That's, that's... I'm still fucking alive. And I've said zero, zero about this. That's brutal. So she was still alive and healthy when this fucking article... I just appeared out of nowhere suggesting she killed someone and it's not like she was like on her deathbed like she yeah. literally up until this point would live for another decade like yeah. she wasn't on her deathbed yeah and historians despite all of this despite being like oh that's weird i don't think that she was on her deathbed at this time i think she was still healthy and with it historians searched for this alleged confession, no matter what. They were like, it's gotta be real. Mm-hmm. It's gotta be real. Let's keep searching for it. And this guy named Edmund Pearson, he is the author of a book called The Murder at Smutty Nose, and it's from 1926. Mm-hmm. He searched for the origin of the story. He looked through every sort of like archive, you name it. He was obsessed with it and he was looking for it. And uh, he's like, oh, the origin of the story can't be attributed to anything. 
It's just bullshit. Meanwhile, everyone else is screaming at the top of their lungs. Like, are you fucking kidding me? It comes from Wagner, Lewis yeah. Wagner himself, yeah. who would take any story he could, would take any excuse he could, everything, and say, it wasn't me, it was this person. It wasn't me, it was this circumstance. Everything like that. Yeah. And going back through like court testimony, court transcripts, all of that. Mm-hmm. It's fucking him. It's Louis Wagner that creates these bizarre theories that for some reason people fixate on and waste their whole life writing these theories in books. Yeah. <sighs> so on top of all of that, on top of having these like bizarre theories out there that people really believe and him publishing his own works and whatever, the uh, article from... 1876 ended up being retracted yeah they were like oh shit we got no grounds for this This, we should fire whoever wrote it and even though that happened even though it was retracted there is still some people who think like no i'm sure there was still weight to this and uh i think that the the wrong people were tried and there's a bunch of people that should be absolutely acquitted of the crime i fucking can't stand people who like believe something's true and then when it's proven false they just refuse and let rest on their laurels that like 100 percent, this is still true it's yeah like, in the face of it getting retracted it coming from the fucking perpetrator of the crime like fuck off honestly yeah and in talking about this with like the random theories that come up and people saying like oh but you know like i heard this and i heard that and it perpetuating in the media Mm -hmm. um a lot of people say that there was an additional story that helped perpetuate these rumors and beliefs Mm -hmm. and uh it was the killer lizzie borden no yep so, okay. because Lizzie Borden was tried and acquitted of killing her father and her stepmother with an axe, yeah, which sort of fits with this narrative, the case was highly publicized, and it very well may have contributed to fueling these people who were in line with the Marin theory. In line with, well, it wasn't Louis Wagner. It was obviously Marin. Marin did it. And the Lizzie Borden theory is believed to have helped people fuel that idea because it showed, I don't care that Lizzie Borden was tried and acquitted. Mm -hmm. Regardless, if I believe she did it, it proves a woman can do it. Mm -hmm. So that is a potential idea to uh, helping fuel the idea that a woman could have committed axe murders because in a lot of people's eyes, apparently, Lizzie Borden could have done it. So Marin Hanvin could have done it. Yeah, it's the new hot trend this decade. <laughs> also, uh, don't accept a friend request from Lizzie Borden. Yeah, that's, a, that's good advice. Do you know why? Why? Because you'll get hacked. And oh she'll say my it was an accident. <laughs> but she meant it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. 
So to me, all of these like weird theories about how like, oh, oh my God, he didn't mean to do it. He's he's innocent. He did not kill them. To me, when I hear all of these theories as to why he isn't, I'm like, whatever. They yeah. hold no water. There's no base to them. I, uh, he did it. Yeah, there's actual evidence to suggest he did it. Well, to prove he did it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just people really, really, really want a conspiracy theory out of this story. Do you agree? Do you think, uh, I don't care what you have to say in, in uh, sort of argument against him having done it. It's pretty obvious he did it. Yeah, it's it's absolutely obvious he did it. What <laughs> I didn't hear a single fucking theory that dismissed all the fucking mountain of evidence. Well, there is a ton of people that think, oh my god, he didn't do it. People are looking for him to be guilty. Yeah, there's a ton of idiots out there too. <laughs> yeah. So after the murders, Marin and John Huntvent moved from Smutty Nose to Water Street in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. John continued to be a successful fisherman on a series of schooners, surviving two wrecks. Oh wow. So he was he was in it. Yeah. He was like, yo, I'm here. Let's yeah. do this shit. Yep. Um, they had one child together. Mm-hmm. Uh Marin ended up moving to back to Norway. Understandable. And she lived there until she died. And uh, when she died, John remarried and he became a farmer instead of a fisherman. Mm. The Hunfin House on Smutty Nose Island actually burned down in the earliest 20th century. And it's now marked only by a ring of foundation, stones, and a handmade sign in the tall grass. Mm. But when people go there nowadays, they're like, oh my God, here I am. I'm at the house. But they've actually mistaken it for a different building which is the Haley cottage yeah so uh yeah you're not actually posing in front of yeah it's completely different place yeah nice it's a very common mistake people make the murder weapon that acts is now in the collection of the portsmouth athenium uh which is an independent membership library gallery and museum in portsmouth new hampshire that's cool Now, I must ask you a question. Okay. (laughs) Did you enjoy this old timey case? I did enjoy this old timey case. Do you love it? Yeah, I really, I really love it. And also, I because we've been to a prison that's one of the oldest in Canada, but ballpark around the same time and stuff. Like I was really putting myself there the whole story. Mm -hmm. Um, it was really cool, and also like the whole landscape and stuff is similar to images that we've seen in canada so i th- i thought it was really kind of engrossing i thought it was yeah, really interesting it's fun to be able to kind of place yourself in the atmosphere yeah yeah well done thank Good you <laughs> thank you it's so hard to research these you, old-timey cases yeah, you, you really brought me there i'm glad you took thank me you. there that's my plan thank Thanks. you thank you everyone for tuning in to this week's episode on the smutty nose murders Make sure you rate and subscribe to the show. Follow us on Instagram at Dark Adaptation Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Dark Adapt Pod. 
like us on Facebook, and be sure to share the show. Thank you, Stephen and Leo from Spoils of Horror, for sharing our promo in your recent episode, Never Hike Alone. Everyone, go and listen to Spoils of Horror right now. They're my favorite. Yeah, she's not lying. I fucking love those guys. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for your kind words, your support, encouragement, everything. Yeah. We'll catch you on the dark side. Stay sharp, everyone. Huh. I, um, you know how I had, like, all these, like, pilgrim jokes? I have some more for you. Yeah. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. What kind of music did the pilgrims like? What? Plymouth Rock. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Why did the pil- Why did the pilgrims' pants keep falling down? Why? Because the bell buckle was on his hat. <laughs> <laughs> How much of Canada's land is further north than Norway? I don't know. How, how much? None of it. <sighs> I, uh... Knock, knock. Who's there? Mary. Mary who? Mariners were needed to sell the Mayflower. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> no, there are more. No, that's Oh, all. thank God. Those are the best of the best. <laughs> I can't take any more. <laughs> <laughs>